The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. How's that diet going, Kev? <laughs> is it getting any better? Uh, Are you still vegan? I'm still. I'm Kev. Yeah. I'm vegan, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> you should have a should have a have a t-shirt. Do you know, next week is the it's the final show before Christmas. It was the night before Christmas, not quite. And uh, we're doing a nativity. And uh, I, I just thought before before we uh, before we start the show, I got an email in. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a veiled complaint, really, uh, from uh, Eric in Ottawa. Hi, Neil and, uh, and and Kev. Hope this finds you both well. Still loving the podcast, yada, yada, yada. I think you should... Um, I think the Gemma Growl has run its course. <laughs> his opening gambit. Having heard Gemma speak on a few occasions, back several months ago when Neil interviewed her, and most recently on this week's episode, I said a couple of weeks ago, with the ex-weddings outtakes, I'm quite certain that she's neither what both the literal and pejorative interpretations of the word that this aggressive canine growl implies. But I, I, I don't know. What do you think, Gemma? She loves it. No problem at all. I'm keeping completely <laughs> quiet. I, I don't know. You've never seen Kev and Gemma in a heated debate. <laughs> Kev can tell you more about that. Oh, but keep, um, anyway, I'm sure if you took out the growls in each episode, you'd be able to find some more time to squeeze in a self-indulgent moment or two. I miss those. We stopped doing those, didn't we? Mm. Keep, keep up the good work. Stay out of the doghouse. <laughs> Warm regards from Eric um, in Ottawa. So we need a, we need a new a new thing, don't we? I don't know. Make, make her sort of an, an omnipotent force. Oh, every time she's mentioned or something. That's a good word. I tell you what, Eric, you are going to absolutely love the part that we've given Gemma in <laughs> in next week's nativity. The Fuji cast. But I'm not saying any more. I'm not I, saying any more. I haven't actually told her about this yet. Have you not? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we're, we're, we're recording it, actually. Um, I think she'd be good as a donkey, though. <laughs> you said that, not me. Oh, you'll be in so much trouble. Anyway, welcome to the show. Um, as always, star of the show today is you and your questions. Uh, anything at all loosely photo-related. Fuji stuff is nice, obviously. Tech is great. Human stuff, well, that's been really great over the last couple of months in particular. Thank you for your questions about well, just being a photographer and sometimes you know the, the the ease and sometimes the difficult bits about being a photographer the show lives on your questions so remember to send them in to click at fujicast.co.uk now this week with a couple of weeks to go to christmas we thought we'd have a really cheery episode um is wedding is wedding photography dead well, um, to answer those those questions, or at least give give some ideas uh, of what they feel about that, we've got three guests this week. Um, so we're we're gonna we're gonna split the show up slightly differently this week. Few questions, guest. Few questions, guest. Few questions, guest. Few questions, guest. So you get the idea. And those guests are Ian Weldon, um, Cat Eckel Cat uh, Eckleboom White. Easy for you to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> Usually I'm okay with those. And Nick Church. And uh, those three are going to talk about... And they have very, very different uh, backgrounds and views um, about uh, being a wedding photographer, what it means to be a, a wedding photographer. Ian's take on it is going to be about mainly about conviction. Um, Kat Eckleboom-White um, is all about reinvention. And Nick Church, well, and it, uh, three years ago, this guy had never even picked up a, a pro camera. Um, so uh, he's he's now running a six-figure sum business, and I know that's not you know the be-all and end-all for everybody, and that's not what everybody goes into it to do. But I thought it would be an interesting angle, particularly when you have the the subject matter is is wedding photography dead. So that that is I'm going to put that over there, 
and we'll come to our first guest very, very soon. Right, your question. It's a long question, this one, from Brad, isn't it? This Brad. One to kick off with. Yeah, so Brad Wakefield sent in a message and he said, I hope you're both well. Um, I'm well. Are you well? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. I'm thinner. <laughs> yes. but I'm well. By the day. Yeah. This new diet is very good. You yes, know. yes. Yeah. Um, he, start, he, he goes on to say that uh, I started working at a press agency as a trainee and the criticism I was given on my work was brutal. Right. So much so that I'd be sent back to reshoot the jobs uh, more than once. But now moving forwards, I really value all of that. Of course, right? And he says, I feel that when framing up a picture, sometimes those rollickings, that's a good old fashioned word, isn't yeah, it? it is rollickings. Yeah, yeah. Rear up and put me back on my tracks. Well, it comes from the press room when I when I worked. Well, again, yeah, damn good rollicking. Uh, so he says, "Thank you, sir." It strikes me that during my short time on photography forums and Facebook groups, people generally only ever say that an image is good or nice, mm. and if it's remotely hinted at that the image isn't great, people get really upset and offended. Yeah. Yet there is a way you can go about it, uh, but more often than not, I feel that people struggle to take the positivity, uh, the positive away from kind of essentially creative criticism right. people often talk about the mental health benefits of photography but being a working photographer i actually find the whole process quite stressful at times and it affects my mental health sorting mm. accounts social media chasing work editing and of course the pressures to deliver great content yeah. as mentioned recently inquiries seem to be down across the board we talked about that a few weeks oh, ago that's this week's episode uh, right. for example and we can't help but find this stressful and question uh, and, que- and question the future. Yeah, and question our future. <laughs> Do you think this in, uh, uh, this uh, vegan thing is good for you? <laughs> it's affecting your concentration. Uh, well, you uh, need a good slab of. There we go. Uh, you get mad cow's disease from that. <laughs> uh, question. Uh, uh, <laughs> I still can't say. It. And question our future in the photography yes. industry. Just yes. a few conversation points that I was yeah. thinking about. Lots there. There we um, go. Well, where do we start? Criticism on on social media. Do you want to start there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Brad is absolutely spot on. Of course, that mostly when you stick a picture on Facebook, especially mm. you know, let's face it, we're talking about Facebook here. Mm. Um, most people are going to say, "I love it," you know, mm. really nice or cool or thumbs up or like or all that kind of stuff. Very few people are actually going to say, "Actually, I think that's Brad. or they're going to say, "Well, you know well, what?" I don't know. I, I think well, on some, some forums you get some really cruel. Yeah, some people will brutal feedback. I think I think we're on about just kind of generally the, the general kind of apathy to yeah. to do it. And is this because of the thing that we mentioned last week when Keith Bernstein was uh, was a guest on the show that image overload thing? Mm, maybe uh, you know I, the fact is I agree with Brad it, it, it's people do take badly if you do offer up any kind of criticism mm. unless it's in a place in a group for example a Facebook group where it's about that mm. or the rules are quite obvious that actually your pictures will be up for criticism and you can you can be creative in your criticism and be honest to help people rather than just be negative um, and there are there are a breed of people out there breed of photographers who base their criticism on jealousy so if a picture is actually very good they might just say it's not very good purely because they're sad that they didn't take it those people exist but very few of them Uh, but generally you know if people i've had times in the past where i've put pictures on my own facebook business page and other photographers have come on and have used that as an opportunity i I would have done it differently yeah yeah yeah. Uh, i wondered if you were going to say that and that's definitely wrong (laughs) you know you you don't you don't go onto other people's business pages and say stuff like that um but you know you why because it's that that's a marketing forum that's that's not a that's not your facebook Mm. um private you know personal element that's like standing outside somebody's shop window and saying those oranges in there are going off don't buy them 
I've got better oranges in my orange shop. Uh, so yeah, I don't think that's right. But you know, uh, you know, Brad goes on about the the kind of mental health elements of of all of that stuff and the business as a whole. And yeah, you know, I have to say that I, you know, I know a lot of people do struggle with it. I don't, I don't personally. I, I can, I'm very good at just being able to switch off the noise of the industry. Uh, you know, when when it's switched on, it's it's very noisy. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm pretty good, and I've had my fair share, believe me, of um, brutality and bullying mm. and all kinds of other stuff in the industry. And uh, you know, you just have to compartmentalize it and stick it in the stick it in the cupboard for a bit until you open that cupboard again and see it again but it's you know mm, what do you do do you uh, i'm in a couple of facebook groups where you know the 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 ethos of it is that you you know put pictures up to help you make your pictures better by and large it works Um, it's been suggested actually that in the the fuji cast facebook group that we should do that more because we have we haven't actually done a lot of that have we no but you run the risk as brad says you run the risk of upsetting people because mm. by and large the you know in the fujicast group of course it's a it's a friendly and welcoming place and y- y- it's very easy to be misconstrued and, and brad does allude to it himself in the, the the language that you use when you're making a, a constructive criticism can be mis- misinterpreted and, mm. and can be seen as more negative than it actually is and you know you you just have to <laughs> your tummy again <laughs> you so need a <laughs> you have to uh... you're breaking off at that point yeah right Steve Hocking gents great <laughs> podcast I've binge listened caught up with all of them of late um, I find myself drawn to more and more black and white images not least because of film simulations like Atcross I'm intrigued by the tiny niche of uh, black and white sensor cameras Question is, do you have any experience with them, you chaps? Uh, Are there image quality benefits from them? I quite like the idea of specialised kit that keeps you focused and removes some of the complications that a colour camera introduces when you're shooting just black and white. It's a good question uh, for you. This is from Steve Hocking. Good question for you, this one, because you like to view everything in black and white as you are shooting yeah. for for very good reason yeah so uh, a lot of people will be listening to this and thinking well, why don't you just turn it to black and white mm. you know and actually it's it's not as simple as that so a black and white there's only a handful of black and white sensor cameras i, I you, can only think of the like you can them. yeah i think there is that's pretty much the only one that comes to mind for me at the minute like a monochrome and i used that and the images out of it were absolutely beautiful and the of course when you shoot raw on a on a like a monochrome mm. you're going to get monochrome raw files there's no there's no yeah. going back yeah. the way it works is it, uh, it, it effectively you're taking away the color arrays on the sensor so um the black and whites are not it's not simply a color sensor being converted to black and white in software in the camera it's a black and white sensor with no color filter arrays on it and so the blacks are deeper the whites are or the, sh- the shadows and highlights are much more defined and that's what makes a difference that's what makes a difference wow. absolutely i remember sitting in the back of a car once um with a uh Careful. a manager right. <laughs> a manager and um and uh, uh, okay well, it was a manager at fujifilm a long time ago and, and he, you know we had this question and he said what do you think about a monochrome camera what a fujifilm one uh, well yeah I, I mean it was a general conversation and and i was like i would absolutely love one that was you know a proper monochrome sensor um of course marketing and the amount of cameras they would sell and everything they they, they've certainly never Mm. gone down that route Mm. and i I absolutely don't foresee them going down that route either but yeah you might never have seen foreseen them going down the route where they removed a a 
a screen from the back of a camera. Mm, yeah, kind of. Yeah, and you're these right. Are, these are bold marketing statements. Mm, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, black and white sensor cameras, love it. I would love one. Um, Steve, thank you for your question. Uh, send your questions in to click at fujicast.co.uk. Um, and um, you'll be read out on the show at some stage. And we are thinking of the new year, by the way. There's lots of thinking in the new year things going on, but uh, one of the things that we're really considering doing is, uh, is a question mop-up every now and It'll probably be one once a month, uh, which we'll do in vision as part of the podcast as well. So uh, that, that'll be from, from next month or, or maybe the month after, but not long after that. Um, so this week, is wedding photography dead? Is it? What do you think, Kev? No, it's not. Because there are still lots of people getting married and there is a billion wedding photographers out there making a living out of it. But the last couple of weeks, the last, last month really, we've, we've just had quite a few emails from people uh, bemoaning the fact that their, their bookings are right down. True. It's not as easy as it used to be. True. Um, some uh, are actually leaving the industry and moving into entirely different industries, not even connected. In fact, we've got a friend of ours on, on a on a uh, on a Facebook forum that we know of that, that moved right out of the the, the the photographic industry altogether. True. Um, so I thought that would be a good title this week. Is is wedding photography dead? We're going to start with uh, with Ian Weldon. Now let me tell you about Ian. First up, he's a wedding photographer, uh, but at the same time, he's He's not a wedding photographer. Already I can see you raising an eyebrow. The thing about Ian is that whilst most wedding photographers are finally crafting their online marketing to persuade Google to place them on the first page of a wedding photographer's search, Ian spent most of his time trying to persuade clients that he's anything but. Now, defining success is a funny old thing because some people may say the definition of success, in the wedding business at least, or indeed any other form of social photography, is by how busy you are or or you get or how many bookings you boast. Others might say it's more to do with whether you're creatively doing what you want to do instead of compromising that for, for, well, more bookings. So in today's topically driven show, you're going to hear three photographers who have their own theories on what's happening in the the wedding industry and how much of this is relevant to to other genres too. And it's probably worth pointing out that uh, Ian caused a bit of a stir in the press by shooting a wedding recently for a couple partnered with Huawei using a mobile phone. Some professionals facepalmed within various forums and generally online suggesting this is just the time nobody wanted that kind of PR. Which wasn't helped by the mobile giant's PR suggesting a figure that over a third of couples are somehow dissatisfied with their professional wedding pictures. Is wedding photography dead? Let's hit the ground running then with Ian Weldon. Straight off the bat, Ian, you'd you'd be the first to say that you're not necessarily the right person to appear in a piece about wedding photography, because you're not you're not really a wedding photographer, are you? We all have we all have a perception of what a wedding photographer is, and we all like know what a wedding photographer is. Yeah. And I just don't I, like I don't really have that much of an interest in weddings, and I've, I've I've never made that a secret. I wonder how your clients feel about that because they come to you and say, "Look, I'm not, I'm not really interested in your wedding." Oh well, no, people come to me because of the work, man. If they see something in that and they want me to shoot their wedding, I've already got a foot in the door. So what what is different about your work, Ian? I mean, here we are making a feature here about. Is wedding photography dead? What's different about your work from those that describe themselves as documentary, reportage, and all those other titles that come with that? 
I think most wedding photographers, I think, well, a high percentage of wedding photographers are running a businessman. And the ones who survive are the ones that are able to constantly change with whatever's popular at the moment. What, what about the yeah. question about why wedding photographers are seeing a, a, a drop in business? There's no doubt they are. Things um, are changing, man, and things are always going to change. And I think that you have the people who are really successful, long-term wedding photographers, are really good at continually learning, continually being at the top of their game, continually pushing it's kind of based around trends, wedding photography. So people who are really good at taking that on board and then working at that and then making it their own, they are the kind of leaders who just keep doing that. They keep changing. But then in all aspects of life, when things change, which inevitably they will, a lot of people get left behind. Some people move on and evolve. It's just the way that things are. Especially now where photography is so prevalent and we have mobile phones and we, that are capable enough in the right conditions, in the right hands, to, you can shoot a wedding on them. So people who then also hang their hat on the gear stand and say, well, to be a professional, you really need this expensive gear, they kind of get a little bit upset about that because it seems like anybody can do it. But it's photography, man. Not everybody can do it. In an age where photography is so much more democratic and, and not the alchemic occupation, you know, cloaked by knowledge of of developer and and stop mm -hmm. and and fix does that does that mean the role of professional wedding photographer is now long no longer as relevant do you think um, i think the lines are becoming blurred as to the genres of photography i think it's just becoming photographer uh, people will always need a photographer people don't will or not always need camera operators that's becoming automated in the hands of everybody people will always need photographers and people always need artists but like the thing is that, because it's so easy to be competent now, you can't really get away with just being competent. So maybe that's why a lot of people are losing business. That's why a lot of people are kind of struggling as air photographers, running photography businesses these days. Yeah, I mean, you've achieved a lot of, um, notice I don't say other uh, wedding photographers. I'm, I'm going to say you, you've achieved a lot of what titled wedding photographers would love to have achieved. You've got some solid self-built PR for someone who, who doesn't <laughs> for someone who doesn't shoot weddings. The yeah. BBC run a piece about you. The BBC never run pieces about wedding photography unless there's a disaster yeah. going on. Um, yeah. The Guardian did a piece on you called uh, what was it? Dr drunks, dress disasters, and, and dad dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's headline. It kind of drunks and disasters, and it's not really about drunks, you know. It's about it's about people and people at weddings yeah. usually well, tend to get drunk, you know. But and, yeah. the, and then you've got the Magnum Great, the giant that is, that is Martin Parr, yeah, Martin, yeah. giving you space on a wall as well. I mean, more mm -hmm. than that. And in fact, there is this rumor that you might end up being Magnum's first photographer to join their ranks as as a wedding photographer. Now. <laughs> At which stage I'll, I'll pause because I think that 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 would be a breakthrough for the genre. But but then again, and it's a question I've been dying to ask you: How would you fit into how would you fit into to Magnum uh, as the wedding photographer that isn't a wedding photographer? Um, well, uh, because that's kind of really hypothetical, I wouldn't know. And to be <laughs> fair, I think I'm probably a little bit old to be joining the ranks of Magnum. Good heavens, no! And hey, maybe not even good enough. <laughs> right. Okay, the storm that is that Huawei film mm -hmm. in Huawei matrimony, where the mobile giant is uh, is capturing you capturing a wedding. That's caused a stir. Um, you're using one of their phones. Is it really possible to photograph a wedding using a smartphone? Yeah, well, in the hands of um, somebody capable enough to do it, yes. It's a camera. I'm a photographer. I'm going to be able to do it with whatever tool I'm given because 
You know, like as I alluded to earlier, this idea that we hang our um, our profession or what we do or any kind of success that we have on the stand of the manufacturer of the stand of the camera is that's completely preposterous. And I think that's where people are getting completely lost as to what they're actually doing as photographers. It's about the photography. It's about the idea. And we should be able to do that with any tool. It may not have the pixel paper quality that you're looking for, but yes, of course you can do it. Did they come to you or did you go to them? They came to me. Okay. Well, I want to get to the tech detail a little bit here, but but I am intrigued as to where this uh, what I th- what I think of as spurious figure that's on the introduction caption comes on. They claim thirty five percent of Brits don't like their wedding photos. Do, do you know where that comes from? I'm I'm intrigued. Absolutely no idea. They no, I, did. That's their marketing. That's their side. I'd of love things. to know that that source um, of research. The challenge for me was just to um, shoot the wedding on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, it's not the first time this has been done, of course, but what drew you to have a go at this, to photograph a wedding on a phone? I think you, you may have answered that slightly, but it, there, has to, there has to have been, a, and it can't just be money, I'm sure. No, no, absolutely not. Obviously, I got paid for it. It's a commercial gig, you know? Um, uh, pay <laughs> for it by them or pay for it by the clients? I paid for, no, I got paid by um, Huawei. Um, in, like, they will you do it? Uh, I tested the devices for... Uh, about a month beforehand to make sure that it was capable of doing it. I had obviously had to think around all of the problems, see how we get all cameras have their own problems mm. and to expect like one device uh, to be able to shoot a wedding with all those different kind of the issues that you come across. There's barely a camera that can do that, you know? So it was the challenge to kind of figure out how we could do it, how I could use that um, device in a way that I could capture images of the day, in the same way that I would normally do. So, yeah, that was a strong part of it, just to see if we could do it. In the film, you said you were apprehensive about photographing a wedding on a smartphone. You obviously did your homework and tested it, as you, as you just said. What, what were the main concerns that you thought, OK, I'm not, I'm not quite sure the phone will cut it for this, this and this? Um, one, uh, a bride walking down the aisle, tracking that focus as a subject moving towards you, which is the being of the most expensive camera. But um, we got around, I got around it, you know. It's like you just have to kind of pre-focus. You have to... You have to understand how the camera works, really. So it's not just shooting a wedding on a mobile phone. You, you said also in the film, it's, it's a short film, it's worth it's worth watching. Um, you yeah. could get into situations that you couldn't with the camera that you normally use. Well, what's the yeah. camera you normally? We get get the camera question out of the way. What's the camera? What's the camera you normally use? It is an X Pro Two. X Pro Two. Okay. So what what were those situations you felt you could get into with a phone that you couldn't with your X Pro Two? Yeah, it just kind of freed me up a bit, man. You know, it's like with the camera, it's usually stuck to my eye and I've got to do all the camera yoga, leaning over things and into things and not being, and I know that it has um, a view screen on the back, but I never use it. I never really think about it. So just having that phone and being able to get, I can just get into positions and situations and kind of stand around without, and take pictures without people really noticing that you're there. You must have expected it. And you know where it's going. You, there's been suggestions of sellout. Uh, uh, <laughs> Selling up from what? You, well, you know, you, you, you know. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen those those suggestions. You've heard them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and the other one that it's, it's very damaging for the business. What What do you think? Is it? I think if you were as a photographer upset about me using a camera to shoot an event or, or anything. Um, the, and that camera is deemed less expensive. It's not like the problem isn't with me, man. You know. There's no real conviction about your own work if that's a threat to you. I because suppose you think people that are... anybody can just go and do that. Yeah. It's not really. It's. I think it's strengthening the fact that the gear is not important. 
But I guess what people mean by by damaging the environment, I mean, you're right to an extent with your answer, I'm, I'm sure, but is that they're thinking, look, you know, here we are trying to defend our position as photographers and, and there's a respected photographer saying, actually, you don't really need a photographer, you just need this this cracking P30. I, I, I never mentioned, I never said that you don't need a photographer. So would you do it again? Would you actually take that phone out now as a on a paid gig as, as a photographer, as a professional photographer? Um, no, because I just prefer using my camera. Uh, it doesn't give me the look that I want. It doesn't give me what I want from a camera. And um, it would probably be a more difficult experience. But do you think it's only a matter of time, really? They're going to get better. They're going to get better and better. Um, but who knows? Like This camera that we, that we use now, the design of it and what it is hasn't changed since the inception of photography. It's a box with a hole in the front, and that's essentially what all cameras are. And if they evolve into the handset kind of thing, the phone kind of thing, then so be it. It's just, it's just a different tool. It's a different style of tool. It's just made in a different way. It does exactly the same thing. Part two of uh, of this debate, if you like, if you want to call it that, will be with uh, Kat Eckleboom White um, very very shortly, um, and she'll be talking about being what being a niche wedding photographer. But uh, thank you to Ian, and it's worth mentioning as well that he has a darn fine podcast called Out of Focus. I love that title, by the way. <laughs> I wish I'd have got there first. Out yeah, of Focus it's, a, podcast. it's a good good podcast. Really good, it's really nice, really good one. Very good guest. Right, um, questions, questions, questions. Uh, were you going to go with this one? I think you were. Yes. Okay, so this is from Phil, Phil Turnbull. He says, My parents kindly took me out for a birthday lunch last week. Amongst topics of conversation was that my granddad, who died around the time I was born, I knew he was a photographer, I should say, in some sense, but it turns out he had a successful photography business in the St Albans area in the 1960s. In Hertfordshire. That's where Steve Shipman it was um, hailed from indeed yeah. his main interest was wedding photography and apparently he was very good at it mm-hmm. uh, his main interest do you class your do you class wedding photography as your I, interest uh, well, i don't know is it an interest yeah in, in i suppose it, it, it consumes my life i suppose i, I suppose <laughs> I would it imagine is. it must I suppose be it yeah yes one thing they told me was that the way it worked in those days was that the granddad and assistant the granddad the granddad, <laughs> the granddad that granddad i.e. the photographer yeah. and assistant <laughs> would shoot the wedding ceremony once that was done they headed back to the dark room yeah. in the shop and yeah. quickly processed the shots and oh, got some yeah. proofs printed yeah. they take these back to the wedding and display them at the reception where well, guests the way could view them yeah. and order them that was the way it Critical. was done. Yeah, well, Order or- ordering them. and print ordering was a big part of wedding photography, wasn't it? My question is, do you think something like this could work today? Today, underlined. Right. Uh, would it be worthwhile? My immediate thought is, uh, does anybody actually buy the photos other than the bride and groom and immediate family? Well, let's talk about um, print ordering quickly first, then. Um, do, do, you get a, do you get any or lots of orders for, for prints from weddings? Very few. Right. Why do you think a lot that, less. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I, uh, partly I think it's because my my pictures are all kind of candid, so mm. I, it's very rare for me to you know for I'm not doing beautiful mm. uh, Vanity Fair type portraits and group shots and stuff. So yeah. they're typically the ones. And the that group shots are the buy. ones that are going to sell, really. Aren't yeah. They? yeah. So I think there's partly that. I also think that you know clients get the digital images. I give them the, the high res mm. digital yeah. images. That's true. Yeah. Whether they go on to print them themselves, I don't know. And to be honest with you, I, I don't really mind. Um, so, yes, no, I don't. So I'm not sure, unless you're a traditional wedding photographer doing lots and lots of groups, that you're going to sell an awful lot of prints if you bring them back to a wedding. But then would you feel comfortable doing it if you did? Well, the interesting thing, though, is what happens, you know, even if they're the candid shots or group shots, doesn't really matter. Yeah. 
if you could take them back let's just say there's a two hour gap and you you've got a, an a3 canon a3 printer in the back of your car yep. and uh, a framing system <laughs> and uh you know credit card machine and all that stuff yeah. and you go back and you you print out all 400 pictures right you, yes. you've managed to cull and edit and all that stuff and you you've done it all in two hours and you go back and uh you go and you stick them on the wall people probably would buy them because they see them you can only sell what you show right that's what they say yeah. um so i think Potentially, I mean, you did that same day edit thing once or twice, didn't you? Yeah, well, that, that's that slightly go? different, of course. So same day edit, really. Well, that was a photo film. So mm. I, I did a same day edit where I, um, where, where Natalie, who worked with me at the time, she was editing the pictures out back behind the kitchens, and um, and she produced all the images that then I slotted into uh, a timeline so that I could present it as a photo film with the audio from some of the audio that was cut down from the speeches on the day. I tell you, what, I was a nervous wreck by the end of that, mm. and. Um, Nat must have spent well she spent all day editing the picture I was just passing cards and she was editing pictures and then um, during the meal I went in and started editing sound and then we pieced together a film and then I think at midnight just gone midnight we showed that film I don't know how Jeff Wood does that all the time. Jeff, do you know Jeff Wood? The um, of course you know Jeff Wood. You've you've worked with him many times. Yeah, he, he does that often, doesn't he? But for wedding films. Yeah, I uh, his stuff's amazing. But yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure that if you were producing films, that that's not really answering that question, though. Is no, it? I think the prints. Nobody's going to buy that. It's the prints, isn't it? A wedding gallery would be a would be a fun thing to walk through during the evening reception. I think the practicalities of it is that it's not very easy to do. Edit, yeah. print, and, um, and frame, and all that kind of stuff, and show yeah. is not a very practical thing to do at a wedding when you're also meant to be photographing it at the same time. So practically, I don't think so. If you had another team member, maybe. I think possibly yeah. you. You know, I, I've done occasionally use the Instax printer to print out some prints and giving them to the bride and groom. Not, How does that go down? Oh, they love them generally, yeah. uh, but the Instax, of course, is a little tiny print and it's it's not gonna be the finest quality not the best quality but that's that's not why it was invented really no no absolutely respect um but no and it wasn't there there was a photographer if i if i can find the the link i'll put it on the uh the website who it's a youtube video and he photographed the wedding and he with the aid of some friends managed to produce the entire album no way. Oh, yes. I yes. think it might have been a Queensbury promotion or I, something. Yeah, I think But he I managed to produce it. the yeah. whole album yes. by the end of the evening and present it to the <laughs> clients. There was like a whole team Oof. of people in a, in a hidden van somewhere with yeah. the, the matting and printing and cutting and everything. Uh, that was quite impressive. Yeah. If you could do, imagine if you could do, produce 30 of them by the end of the night. Take that to every wedding. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, thank you, Phil. Phil Turnbull, for that question. Um, Glasgow Lee's been in touch. Good old Glasgow Lee. Merry Christmas, Glasgow Lee. We'll just get that one in early. Um, he should have been in next week's um, nativity play, shouldn't he? Really? What, what would we? What part could he have played? The ass. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i've been asked to do a talk at a camera club and while writing down why i do photography it's become apparent that i do it for the money and deep down i wonder if i didn't do this as a job whether i would ever pick up a camera again last year i made a real effort to soak myself in uh, in, in people that do photography for the love of picking up that camera this has kind of helped do you think it's a common situation for working professionals? There's always there's always a serious question behind Glasgow Lee's questions, mm. even though they might might not start out that way. Any thoughts on uh, on ways to do or not not to do to stay in love with with photography? 
Personal oh. projects, I think, is a, is a good way yeah, of it, and I, and I like, actually, Glasgow Lee at the moment has got that fabulous Amazing. personal yeah. project of people in baths, which when he say. first talked about it, I thought, oh, God, what on earth is he doing? But now now I get it. I get it entirely. Absolutely. No, I do too. And, and I think that question must have come in before he started that because that's clearly what he's, his passion is now. He's doing oh, that. do you think so? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You reckon? Maybe. Pers- yeah, personal. In fact, we, we did do something on personal projects a while back, and maybe it's something else we, we should do again. Um, personal projects, because I think that's a way of, of maintaining your love. Send us in your whatever you're doing for your personal projects, if you have one. Um, send it in to us, and yeah. we can, just by reading what people are doing out to others, it might inspire them and us. <laughs> Good idea. And also send in your disasters, because that starts in the new year as well. Um, your your photo- photography disasters, if you want your name... Uh, with hell we can do that too right um let's move on is wedding photography dead this is kat eckleboom white now she's an expat living in austria and she saw that the wedding industry was certainly changing so um this is uh, what she's master um of uh, or mistress what would it be master or mistress of of reinvention because kat thought hmm i'm gonna go for something a, a niche and and so the next segment of of this particular theme this week is is niche niche wedding photography. Stop saying quiche, <laughs> making me hungry. <laughs> That's another thing you can't eat. Sorry. So Cat Eckleboom White on niche niche wedding <laughs> photography. So Cat, first of all, congratulations on your appointment as a, a Fujifilm ex photographer. There's only five of you in Austria, so that that's a good honour, isn't it? It is. Like I am. So unbelievably, like stoked to have of um, been confirmed as as an ex photographer. Like I'm, I'm in awe of so many of their photographers across the world, and to be, you know, as primarily as, as a wedding and elopement photographer, to have that honour is pretty amazing. Yeah. How 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 did it come about? Did did they approach you? Were you approaching them? Or um, I know a few of their ex photographers in the UK. Um, I kind of spoke with the UK team. They're like, well, yeah, we, you know, even though I'm from the UK, you don't live here. So you'd have to get in touch with Fuji um, Germany. And it all happened pretty quickly. I think I first contacted them in May. And I think by September, it was confirmed. And I think last month was kind of officially then up on the on the website. So so what was your introduction to your gateway drug camera, if you like, to, to Fujifilm? Most people at this point say X100. No, it was the X-T2. Ah, what did you shoot before that? Um, I was on the Canon 5D Mark IV. I was kind of toying with the idea of getting something lighter. A start with it was just for personal stuff. Um, because I ski and I climb a lot and taking a DSLR out with you yeah. is, is heavy. Um, and so I was at way up north and a friend of mine um, was there and she had her little XT2 and I was like, oh, can I test it? And then they had Fuji there as a sponsor. So I then, you know, got to look at all of the shiny gear. <laughs> um, and it was pretty much like love at first sight, like in terms of just picking it up and the weight and the usability, I, I really loved it. So I, I guess now you're XT3 user or? XT3s, um, I got uh, for so I'm just off to Norway in a couple of days, and I've borrowed a GFX 100 um, just to test out for a few landscape shots. Way too heavy for wedding work, 
but yeah, I shoot X-T3 for weddings. Uh, occasionally, I have the X-T2 as my like backup hiking sports camera. Now, weddings. You, you're a British expat. You live in the, the beautiful Austrian mountains. You describe yourself as only shooting intimate, um, adventurous weddings and elopements. And, and the title is pretty self-explanatory. But let, let's nail exactly what you mean by that. What is an elopement wedding? I think the definition of an elopement has changed a lot over the last kind of 10 even over the last kind of two or three years. Um, And so for me, an elopement is an intimate wedding where the couple puts all of their focus on the experience that they want from the day. So even if they decide to bring some guests with them as their witnesses, the focus is on how they want to experience the day, how they want to feel. And it's all about kind of creating basically like the best day that they could imagine and not having to kind of think too much about pleasing other people. Were you shooting weddings before this then in, in a, in what you might describe a more traditional style? Yeah. Um, I started off, so I started, um, completely new into photography straight into weddings. So that was what I wanted to do, uh, four years ago, um, when I started my business. And at the start I was shooting some pretty traditional weddings. Um, and, the kind of the more adventury stuff and the elopement stuff kind of came about through kind of combining my interests with kind of people who connected with me more on a personal level. Did you see the traditional wedding work starting to slow down then? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like I'm in quite a unique situation in that. So I live in a country where I'm obviously I'm, I'm an immigrant, basically. Um, expats are wonderful, word, but I'm an immigrant here. Um, and so, yes, you still have the traditional weddings and you have traditional photographers that do that stuff. But I think there's more and more couples who they don't want, they don't want the same old, same old that everyone else has had the same wedding venues, uh, the same vendors as, you know, everyone else in their family. They want to do something different something memorable um and so i was kind of starting to get contacted by um couples wanting to do destination weddings so firstly in in tyrol where i live and kind of slowly that's branched out but it's i think it's more these people the couples i work with they're from all around the world but their main thing in common is that they just don't connect with the idea of a traditional wedding um, in many ways, sometimes because they're just like super introverted or it can be because they just see that as a total waste of money, spending hard-earned cash on pleasing 100 plus people and buying stuff that they really don't care about. And do you think this has become something that more and more couples are, are thinking? I mean, we're, we're talking about very niche style of, uh, of wedding photography here, but but I'm wondering if, if couples generally that you're you're kind of getting this this undercurrent this feeling that the couples are feeling that way that they don't want to spend so much money or, or they they want to direct their money in other areas or they they perhaps don't think that a traditional wedding photographer cuts it anymore yeah i think so i think it's more about you know there's this whole thing of oh you know millennials get a bad name but i think that generally couples or a lot of the couples that i see coming through to me are so much more self-aware in kind of just what they want in their kind of what they value in life in general, not just to do with their wedding. Um, And you kind of see this coming through multiple trends, like, you know, the tourism industry has had to adapt as well to these more experience driven 
um, services, you know, chained hotels can't cut it anymore. Now people want boutique bed and breakfasts and Airbnbs. Yeah. I think like it's, it's just a trend that people want something. People don't want packages anymore. People want something that's unique to them that no one else has had. We're using the word niche over and over. I know we are, but can, can you re- can you really build a profitable business photographing um, uh, these very intimate weddings, the, these elopement style weddings? Well, I have. Um, so I shot one church wedding this year in 2019, um, and that was one that was a referral from one of the first ever brides back in 2016 when I right. was my first wedding season. Yeah. Um, from next or so from kind of mid through this year, I was like, I'm not going to take anything anymore like that. I ask people how big their wedding's going to be. And generally, if I think it's looking more traditional, then I'll refer them to someone else. And so my business is completely built on, on this kind of niche, you know, very niche adventure focused elopement. Um, some, some of them are bigger weddings, but they're still very adventurous. So it could be that it's a big, you know, ski party on a mountain, Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, I've built my whole business around it and actually my business is doing better now that I am very clear on just one focus than when I used to take anything and everything that came to me. Do you mind me asking how many weddings you shoot per year in this style? My, my wedding limit is 25, which was what I've been at this year. So that's, that's still a good number. That, that's a number that many photographers aim at. 25, 30 seems to be that number anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. For me, that was kind of my my happy number and so also for me I my weddings aren't as seasonal so I'm working pretty much throughout the year so it means that 25 means I get a good space space out in between some months can be a bit crazier than others but it means that also for me it was really important to build a lifestyle that works around me as well so it gives me plenty of time off too. Now now the money thing being niche does that mean that you you had to uh, reconsider the amount of money you charged your your clients, the professional fee. Did you have to come down or were you, were you able to stay the same or, or did you did you increase? I went up. Right. <laughs> my prices have, um, I can't, can't do the maths in my head, but they have gone up quite considerably. Um, I charge a hell of a lot more than most other local photographers. Um, but I feel confident that I offer a service that no one else can. Um, I always think of it, you know, in Liam Neeson terms, you know, I have a very particular set of skills. Um, (laughs) And I also know who I'm targeting. So I know that not everyone is my client, but I know that the people who are will pay the prices that I'm charging without even thinking about it. And I've also kind of got to the point now where if I'm not being told I'm too expensive at least once a month, then I'm too cheap. Well, you present workshops. It neatly takes me really onto your workshops and, and the business mentoring and the marketing that you do. It's difficult yeah. to draw just one or a, a couple of pieces of advice, I'm sure. But uh, for a photographer listening who thinks yeah. the old way is just not working anymore, and there's there's plenty of indications for a lot of photographers that that is happening, what would your advice be? Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, for me... I always kind of say when people are like, oh, people just book cheaper photographers now. Um, My kind of opinion advice on that is that you've then failed to communicate why you're worth someone paying more for you. So I think you really need to focus on what makes you different as a photographer um, and kind of what your ninja skills are. Because, you know, within 
all areas of photography and wedding photography, you tend to have people who are really awesome at certain types of weddings or have a really incredible style and they just don't really communicate that clearly enough. Kev, do you think uh, we could ever see you in the future hanging off the side of a mountain doing uh, doing adventurous weddings? I used to go skiing all the time. Did you? Yeah. Do you and know- actually, actually... yeah. Uh, one of those weddings that Cat mm. photographed yeah. in the Austrian Alps was meant to be mine. Was it really? Yeah, but I couldn't get there because of the snow in the UK, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. Really? Yeah, so uh, I couldn't get there, neither could the guests. Oh. So uh, I, I put an SOS out to Cat and she photographed it and she did a very good job by all accounts from the clients. Did you photograph it on skis? No, I never got there, did I? No, did she? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Possibly, she seems like an amazing. You're a good person. skier, then. Are you, are you, um, yeah. I, well, I used to be reasonable good skier. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I haven't been Did for a long there's time. all these sort of sides to Kev you that you don't realise? And say, are you a good rugby player? Yeah, I played for London Welsh. Yeah, yeah. And and they say, well, uh, were you a good? Um, uh, 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 what, what do you get? It's not judo player. Uh, judo. Um, judoka. Ju- <laughs> judoka. Judoka. And then Ju- you have to bow. Are you a good judoka? Bow. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, black belt. All right, okay. <laughs> Were you a good skier? Yeah, I was on Ski Sunday a couple of times. <laughs> but these things you just don't... Uh, never want to do the theme to Ski Sunday. All these things you didn't know about, Kev. Right, back to questions. Phil, thank you for your question. If, you, if you're sending them in, by the way, click at fujicast.co.uk is the address. Um, and if, you, if you're of that sort of... Um, uh, thought that you you won't get on you will and sometimes it does take a few weeks uh, a month or so but you will get on and we are going to do some question mop-ups on the on the on the new youtube channel as well so uh, just starting um i just started listening to the podcast guys really enjoy it so far um i was wondering if you print out any of your well, we've had a printing question haven't we but this is slightly different hmm. i was wondering if you print out any of your work or street photography to display at home if so um how do you display them maybe a photo wall or in frames oh it's I like that. Okay, non-tech question. Uh, yeah, and it's some of your your uh, street work is absolutely um, extraordinary. I, I really enjoy your street work. Do you? But My, would, would you adorn the walls with with lots of Mullins pictures? Probably not. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think we've got any. It seem uh, a bit odd. In fairness, Gemma has mentioned it a couple of times doing some of the more arty ones, and like I don't want to see pictures of Gemma on the wall. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I know what sort of pictures you two. Have I know Gemma. Sorry. <laughs> But you, you have uh, your house is got is full of pictures of the kids and Sam and friends and family. Yeah, and stuff, well, we have it? a photo wall which is uh, which is not just photos now. Actually, it's grown into lots of other things. Mm. It's it's um, a few paintings um, I, and anywhere we travel, we try and get something of artistic value. Would be that a photograph or actually, when I was in the Gambia, I I, I bumped into um, um, the, a chap that was a street artist. And I watched him paint. He actually painted the thing in front of me, um, or finished it off in front of me. I thought that was a great thing to bring back. Mm. So we we have kind of an artisan or artist wall, if you like. But photographically, yeah. Um, I um, I mean, most of your most of the most of the stuff you absolutely adore is all in books because you have an extraordinary book collection. Yeah, books. Yeah, but they're not my pictures. But yeah, absolutely. I I, I would like to put more up. I, I keep saying to Gemma, I want to have a wall, a floor to ceiling mm. wall. Of not frames, but just uh, like six by fours, ten by eights, uh, or black and white. Right. Like, and obviously we have all family. Or yeah, 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 yeah. For the kids and yeah, the family and yeah. holidays and stuff. I want to do it in the kitchen um, because our house is tiny and it's it's like a There's little no hobbit your, hole. No room in your kitchen. We've got a whole go? big back wall. We could do oh, that yeah, on the right yeah. hand side. That's true. Um, and the light falls nicely on there. So yeah. that's what I want to do. A whole big black and white one. Um, but I don't think it'll happen. 
because it's the black and white thing, isn't it? You know. Does she ever say no? No black and white. Bless no? her. She, she, she. I think I don't know. Maybe it will happen. Who knows? Right. Ask me again in in six months' time. So um, yeah, and that might be my uh, Christmas present to I myself. Think, I think it's a good idea, Phil. Um, yeah, a, absolutely. A, a, a Show photo the pictures wall of your of your work. Yeah, yeah, get them printed out. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, your your yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a question from Dominique Martel. Isn't that a lovely name, Dominique Martel? Hi guys, great podcast, I love it. I'm from Quebec City, Canada, and your podcast is the best podcast there is. Great content. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fujifilm are mirrorless cameras, and I understand they're more compact and lighter. But could yes. you explain the difference with standard cameras, i.e. full-frame cameras like Nikon and Canon? There's also the Fujifilm GFX100, which I've heard is a mirrorless full-frame. Uh, could you please help me understand the difference between the different types? Also, why, when we talk about mirrorless cameras, we say 23mm is equivalent of 35mm, and when we talk yeah. about GFX100, we say 50mm is equivalent of 37mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or 35. it gets the other way. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, very briefly, it's all to do with the size of the sensors. Uh, APS-C is a little bit smaller than full frame, and uh, GFX100 is not a mirrorless full frame. It's it's a, a medium format, format yeah. size sensor, yeah. sensor, pretty much. Larger than the 35mm yeah, so frame. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's larger again still. Yeah, yeah. And that's why when you talk about the focal length, you have one goes one way and one goes the other, because the larger the, the sensor, mm. the, the smaller the focal length becomes in terms of that converting it to 35mm uh, equivalent. However, what I will say, the answer to all of your questions, Dominique, is an amazing film that Zach Arias did. It's, I think it's just called What the F is Full Frame or something. Mm. Um, and he, he talks about it all perfectly well. And uh, I will link to that on our Fidgecast page for this week's episode. Um, but I'm sure if you just type into YouTube, Zach Arias Full Frame, you will find it. I can't, can't I, 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 I'm sure that um, Zach must have made that film because he, he got absolutely fed up with answering the question about, uh, oh, why is it not full frame? Yeah. And like everything Zach does, it was gold. It was gold. Mm. Um, right, moving on. Is wedding photography dead? That's the question we've been asking on to today's show. And uh, I'm going to end with Nick Church, apt name, of course, for a wedding photographer. Um, <laughs> now, now, Nick, uh, three years ago, Nick had seriously had not picked up a professional camera. He came to photography out of the IT industry. He fell properly out of love, I think, with the industry that um, that, that he was in and um, and decided that he'd be a wedding photographer. Now, it's not too dissimilar in some respects, Kevin, to, to your own story, is it, really? Oh. Because you came out of uh, – uh, you were successful in, in what you were doing. You came out of that industry and you, you went back to, to tell Gemma, I am going to be a wedding photographer. Oh. And I, I think Nick pretty much did the same thing. The difference, you might say, is that Nick is doing this 15 years on from... Is it 15 years you've been in the industry now? How long is it? Is uh, yeah, uh, two, Rough, roughly. 12, 13, yeah. No, let, 10, slightly 11. less. Well, yeah, but it was, you could say, when you went into the industry, there was less competition. Yes. More opportunity to, to state your claim, I would have said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely easier, I would have thought. And now here we are in, in full-on congestion. I would say there's there's never been more photographers that purport to be able to photograph a wedding than ever there was. And uh, Nick has has kind of taken the attitude of strategizing. Now you might think, oh, strategy, that's a very grown-up word. That's only for adults that play around with spreadsheet. But he came into this business strategizing. And and it's fair to say that he's he's been asking the question, what fall in bookings? So this is Nick Church. 
Nick, you're at an interesting stage because your introduction to wedding photography only really started three years ago. Up to then, you worked, as, as many photographers do and, and have in IT. In fact, you'd not even used a pro camera, had you? No, that's right. I mean, actually, yeah, three, three four years ago is the first camera I bought. Um, and I gave up my, my full-time job January 2018. So, um, yes, yeah, so, so it's a, still a, a new venture. So there was a there was a period while the whole thing was growing and you were finding that level of income because you you were a director in your IT company weren't you? Yeah, that's right. It was a, a software um, company. So and I have had a, a career in software from engineering through to architect, project manager, and then um, yeah, the, the sort of directorship level um, later on. So yeah, so it's a um, very busy um, job and and also you know your your lifestyle accommodates whatever salary you've got so it was well paid but you know i've got a big family we've got a mortgage and everything else so it, it it did raise the bar i mean it sounds like a first world problem but it did make it you know that much more challenging to sort of change career into something that could you know replace that salary did, did your peers your colleagues your family did they say uh, nick what on earth are you doing a couple did yeah i think a couple after, after they've seen how hard i'd worked through my career to get where i was um, but my partner Dawn was was excellent and just said, you know, if this is what you want to do, then she'll support that. Um, but part of the the transition was all about making sure that it didn't put people at risk, didn't put family at risk. I had a pretty clear strategy about when was the right time to jump ship and did I have the bookings and you know, so I had a, a good set of projections based uh, put in to make sure that I was confident. So you're you're coming to photography during a time in the UK at any rate where most. Most photographers think of uh, as, as post-Brexit result blues. Um, I mean, you set up a company, you employ, I think, up to four other photographers now working for you. Is That's that right. right? Correct, yeah. So the whole thing's expanded during a time where many wedding photographers are talking really about not expansion, but contraction. And, and, and I'm wondering how and why. Did, did you not do your homework, Nick? Did you, uh, did you not hear the cries of the wedding industry? It wasn't the ideal time. <laughs> I won't lie. It was, you know, um, but it's... I think the because I've come at it from such a left field direction, I've I'd not I didn't know wedding photographers. I was not been involved in the industry, so I've, I wasn't in Facebook groups talking to photographers. Um, so I was able to with with the other job still going, I was able to just feel feel my way through, work out what strategy I was going to use to get those bookings in. They started to come in, and I didn't really then think any, didn't think otherwise. You know, it was only once I'd got a full roster of bookings for a particular, you know, for the first year, that and was more in, engaged in the industry generally, that I realised that you know people were struggling. It, it is a tough time to sort of get these bookings, get people to part with their cash with the uncertainty we've got right now. What, what is a full roster? I'm, I'm intrigued at the number that you, you believe is a full roster because you've, you've got four other photographers. So I, yeah. I have a figure in my mind, but but uh, what, what's your figure? Well, last year in 2018, um, or this year rather, it was it was about, I think, on 62 in total. Um, so the other, the other two, um, three, I guess I've got a, a, a filmmaker, and two or three other um, photographers that, that do weddings, but they're not—they're they're just coping with that overflow at the moment, and that's something that uh, that that will hopefully grow into a full—you know—so I can start loading up more weddings for other people. Do you think that's been an advantage then? The fact that you you didn't you didn't know the industry before, that you've come into Absolutely. it with with sparkling eyes and and none of those preconceptions. I think it is. I think it was an advantage, and and sparkling eyes. I'm not sure, but certainly. Um, that my eyes are a lot, lot more tired now, um, but I didn't have that 
jaded wedding photographer. Um, you know, clients are hard work. It's really hard to get their money. They're, they're all, they're all tire kickers. They want to push your price down. So I didn't have all, all those kind of stories, you know, affecting my outlook. It was just, let's work out what my strategy is. Let's go for it. And, and that worked. And, um, that, that's definitely been something that's kind of kept me fairly buoyant through that time. Let's talk about strategy. Um, somebody who's been in the business for years will, will not, as you've already said, come to the party laden with preconceptions of how to launch a business through through old school methods. And you went into it. I think I think it would be fair to say that the Facebook has has been the Facebook theory has has been really the the success behind the business. You've been able to launch to achieve this sort of six figure turnover. You've you've done that. Is it fair to say you've done that entirely through Facebook or, or pretty much? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the more organic referrals um, and getting bookings directly from my SEOing through Google is something that's only started to happen now in the last sort of twelve months. So before that, it was very much probably ninety ninety five percent Facebook advertising with latterly a bit more. You know, with later on a bit more Instagram as well but that that was something that i did very early on that's how i got the first few weddings um without even having any portfolio really just went straight into facebook advertising um, because that's something i'd used in my previous career that works well so it was just a logical thing there's those that believe that facebook advertising is probably one of the most cost effective forms of marketing out there aren't there yeah i mean the the only the the danger i was worried about is that by just using that then you are you know if 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 um, that stops to be as effective, then you've only got, you know, you've got all your eggs in one basket. So things like wedding fairs and those other things are something that I've, I've had to do as well. But, but the amount of time and money investment in that, in a wedding fair, it, it's just yeah. not, not comparable to, to, the, to the success of Facebook advertising. But if Facebook goes bust tomorrow, I want to make sure that there's other, <laughs> there's other avenues of, of bookings to come in. So, so how, do, how does the Facebook advertising work? How, how do you do it through Facebook? Well, the way that I approached it was, again, without any knowledge of how um, photographers usually approach um, fixed advertising, I'd not looked at all the YouTube videos that I've since seen of, of marketeers suggesting how one might create an advert for a, a photography service. So I did it in a completely different way to that, which was, I just thought, well, what I want to do is write a post full of loads of images that doesn't, I'm not constrained on resolution, I'm not, I don't have to use some... Um, Probably slideshow video that reduces the resolution. I want the images to be really nice. I want it just to look like a no- my normal post. But as you said, I don't didn't have a following at that point, so I want to just shove it in front of the right people. So um, by creating a normal post in face in my Facebook business page with with loads of images, because there's no limit. Pretty much the images you can put in there. There's no limit to the amount of copy you can put in. So just really explain what it is that you're offering. Put your best work in there. Give a discount because. People on Facebook, it is true that people do want a discount. That doesn't mean they won't go for the higher service, but they do want a discount. And and then I use um, Facebook Ads Manager to then promote that to the right the, the, the right market. And and that's the same. That, that that's what I've been doing all, all the way through um, up to now. It's just the same way of doing it. And um, it goes up and down. Last year the, the results were better than this year, but it's still um, a really good return on investment. I'm still intrigued as to how you did that very first post with no portfolio. It's extraordinary success. Well, I, I, I did have um, about five images of um, a friend of mine. She put on her wedding dress and we, we went to a church. Um, she, she, her husband wasn't, did, didn't want to be involved in it, so I couldn't convince him. <laughs> but I had, I had some shots of her, shots of the kids, 
and and that was enough just to get wow. the next booking. And as soon as you've got the next one, then then you're off because you know you, you you've got plenty of portfolio then. So I've looked at your package prices. And, and it's what I would refer to as pretty much smack bang in the, the middle market in terms of pricing strategy. It's, mm-hmm. But this is equally the most competitive part, of course, isn't it? it it's not in the race to the bottom part, and, it, it, and it's not in the high end 4 to 5K plus end. Um, yeah. You're right in that bit where everybody's fighting for business. Have, have you noticed anything in, in the last two, three years? In terms of? In, in terms of the business dropping off. Um, no. No, I haven't. None I think, at all. I think the... Um, Yes, I, I am in that that area of the market. It is it is a busy marketplace. But if one thing that is clear across any um, business is that people are buying from people, and they're not they're not comparing different images. Particularly, you want your images to be to look good for the the, the potential market that you're aiming for, good for the price that you're asking. I think my images are are that. Um, I'm very confident to get behind my portfolio. Um, and and market that as being a really good value for the price it's at, but then it's all about engagement and um, making sure that, you, that you're providing the good service and they can get that feel that they they feel like you're just going to be able to handle it, um, and and that's the way that I think you can differentiate not just through price. What makes your your images different? I mean, we talk about difference. People buy on, people buy on people, as you've just said, but 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 also it needs to be different. There needs to be something that sets you aside from. From the uh, the the ne- next Nick Church along the road. There's only one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, I knew you'd um, say yeah, that. It's, it's a good question, um, and I think the answer is that the 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 style that my images are is purely based upon the fact that I have never researched loads of wedding photographers. I'm not great at. Um, so if, if if you were to ask me a question of who's your favourite wedding photographer, I, I, you know, or who do you aspire to be? What famous wedding photographer? I don't know any, and that's. I'm not saying that's the right thing. I think it's quite poor. It's just I haven't been. I've been so busy to 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 do that kind of research. So my fo- my my photos are a result of not having much external input. And that's not to say they're completely unique, of course, because we're all using the same kit and we're all using the same sun and to produce the light. But um, so, but the feedback I get from couples is that they're very vibrant and that they really like the lighting and the attention to where to the natural light. And if it's an artificial light, they really like the, the natural feel to them and they're sort of unposed um, elements to all the photos. So it's a case of, right, now that I know that, let's make that part of the, the, the marketing strategy reflects that back to people. So if they're feeling, when they look at my images, they feel something. If you come back with some marketing, um, if your your market your marketing spiel is all about saying the same thing, they feel that they feel really really rewarded that they've they think oh that lighting's good, and then they see that oh that that, that is something that he's trying to do, and, and they feel good that, that they've identified that themselves. So um, using that feedback is really important. I noticed you've been been pretty busy on on various podcasts. Um, you've been ramping up the uh, the Nick Church PR for, for your company, which is which is good. In, in fact, I mean, I heard from you in terms of what we're doing now. So so that that shows that you're not you're happy to get out there and push push your brand and push yourself forward. Yeah. Is the plan to build the training part of your business and, and make the company more B two B? Do you see that as the the long term? You you use the S word, so is that the long term strategy? Absolutely. Yeah, th- that's right. And um, things like the, the podcast. Of- Firstly, I, I really enjoy doing that, that side of it as well, but it would be unfair to, to say that, that part of it isn't to to be able to get out there to where other photographers are thinking about. Oh, this you know maybe there's something you can learn from that uh, um, from from this person, and that's and that's all part of it. I would like to build that side, um, 
but I do want to continue to do the weddings because I think just doing training without actually walking the walk and talking the talk is a pretty risky game. I think you do need to do both. And so that's the plan is to sort of build this side of the business, the training end. Uh, I, I'm intrigued. You put, you put your training and your, your mentoring head on now for a second. What you would say to somebody who says, well, look, the business has changed. It's not like what it used to be. It's, you can't earn money from it anymore. Um, it's, it's going downhill. It's going down the pan. Wedding photography as an industry is dead. I'm intrigued to know what you would say to that person. I would probably say that I think if you have that attitude, unless you're a really good actor, that that's going to come across. And I've seen, I've seen photographers at wedding fairs that when you talk to them privately, they have that attitude. And you can see that they're, they are exuding that even when they're stood, stood in front of their stand, that they've got that. And you need to sort of really leave that at the door because, you know, that that's pretty much game over if you're feeling like that because you, you're going to get nowhere. You, you have to think, right, is it, you know, if, is my work good enough? Yes, I'm confident it's good enough um, for the price I'm charging. Who am I going to market? And you target these people and you try and have, you have to make sure that all of your, um, your marketing and your strategy and your collaborating and your, um, you're doing everything you can to to get your product in front of the right people and when they see it and they see you it all makes a cohesive um offering to them then i think that that's the 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 main advice that i would give people is if you're focusing on doing that rather than worrying too much about that people are trying to knock you down there's other photographers that are making far too much money and all those things then then i think that that that's the element that that's the thing to focus on thank you to nick church for his wise words to kat eckleboom white on thinking about niche and to ian weldon on conviction and self-belief thank you to all three of them for becoming involved in is wedding photography dead and and i hope you agree um, <laughs> that it didn't become a, a ghost of christmas past episode it's become a, a ghost of christmas future and that there is a future in this industry but maybe it's just you have to think slightly differently as you as you move ahead now um in this particular business you are you thinking of doing anything different kev or um no not really i'm happy doing what i'm doing and maybe uh maybe slightly different approach to marketing but yeah then other than that i think i don't want to do stuff i don't want to do that's the problem yeah you know if people have people have said to me you know you need to do more instagram styled shoots and yeah. you know bride and groom yeah. being dragged up a mountain and stuff and you know those pictures look great but i don't want to take them and so i will take pictures that i want to take and until people stop wanting me to take mm. them but you'll just think, case rethink your marketing or something go and become a dustman or something <laughs> don't be doing that <laughs> Right. Um, thank you for all your questions this week. A very different episode next week, but we'll come on to that in a moment's time. Meanwhile, Fujicast, the private group, the Facebook group. Um, thank you to all those that have uh, requested to join recently. Um, you're very, very welcome. And uh, we do dig out some of the questions from the Facebook group sometimes. Uh, Jay Farrell wrote in. Um, the documentary Wedding in America discussion, episode 42, got my attention, so I thought I'd uh, offer to continue it. Um, I'll let you read this because actually um, 
You, you've known Jay for quite a while now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Jay came over from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. He did. To, to see me once. Uh, very pleasant <clears> to <throat> too. And I, in fact, I went to see him in New York. He does a, an awful lot of the, um, uh, the, the sort of buildings. The abandoned buildings. Abandoned buildings, yeah. that's it. Yeah. He's got a couple of good books out, actually. Uh, abandoned Tennessee, they're called. And he's, there's a, there seems to be a lot of houses that are abandoned in Tennessee. <laughs> right, okay. And he seems to know where they all are, and he goes and photographs them. I, d- I don't know if I could ever walk into an abandoned house without feeling like... It's behind you. Yeah, I know the pictures. Some of the pictures look quite spooky. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, however, Jay, Jay basically is picking up on the comments. And I think it was Marius Peter that sent it to us a couple of episodes ago. And he was talking about, you know, how do you how do we fly with the documentary wedding photography in America? And I and I, I essentially said that, you know, <laughs> um, uh, my point was, I you know, I feel that in America, you know, you live in California or on a beach or up yeah, a mountain. Yeah. And, and, you know, people go to these places because they are that beautiful. And, and rightly so, they're going to want to make those pictures and Part of the part of the day, you know, the environment. I think you essentially said, like, you know, everybody in America lives on a beautiful beach with with mountains. Yeah. In the same way that Americans say everybody in England lives in a castle. Yes, quite right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Apart from the ones in Merthyr Tidfil, they've Tidville. never seen Slough uh, or, or Merthyr Tidfil. <laughs> and, and in fact, Marius then picks up. So Jay is Jay is effectively uh, offering an olive branch, really, and saying, you know, this is how I've been doing it, and uh, and he's good at it, and he, he you know, he's, he's he's doing it in Tennessee of all places. Um, and uh, Marius, you get in trouble for that Marius, Tennessee of all places Mary, no, I'd love to go to Tennessee <laughs> my spiritual home I reckon would be there so. yeah I really want to go um, they love it, a good meat on the griddle out there though yeah, yeah I'm uh, not sure that they'd understand your your newfound veganism oh that's true yeah I hadn't mm. thought about that See? Um, anyway Marius goes on to say that um, <laughs> oh I love that sound I'm from Indiana and Indiana isn't California or any <laughs> other nice place <laughs> <laughs> he was having a pop at you, I think. Uh, yeah, so Indiana is seemingly is not such a pretty place so as California. Good, it's, it's a good thread there. So there's a, the, a whole thread, a conversation starter in the group there, which you can join in with, uh, with regard to, um, to, to to the documentary theme of, of weddings and, and also the street work as well. We should start a movement to get yeah. documentary wedding photography more acceptable in America. You think so? Yeah. Let's have a hashtag. Why do you think it's not as wide? That's too long a hashtag. Is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll take you you don't want to answer that question moving on then so that's it for this week thank you very much for your questions they are as 65 as 65 people are about to say they are the lifeblood of the show and we we require you to send them in so we can keep the engines turning here Um, click at fujicast.co.uk is the email address click at fujicast.co.uk as we say technical questions are great but also send in human stuff as well how you feel I mean questions about you know what it feels like to do things or taking leaps of faith and all all that kind of stuff is interesting interesting. things you'll photograph or whatever anything anything you think that other people might find interesting your wedding disasters too we need those yes and we also haven't forgotten about the anniversary the first year anniversary Um, we are still in the process of organising it and we will let you know as soon as we know we're in negotiations Correct. that sounds very grown up doesn't yes. it music from Blue Wednesday this week and uh, also of course the uh, support music from Artlist and if you want to see our offerings to the photo community personally myself and Kev there's one address you need to go to for all those personal um, website addresses learn about the kits Neil and Kevin use get links to all their websites and find out first about any new workshops coming up by going to www. 
fujicast.co.uk forward slash the boys. Yes. Um, next week is, uh, well, this week's been a bit different. Next week is very, very different. It's the nativity play. <laughs> Kev's keeping very quiet. It's the nativity play, and um, and we're, we're all playing a part in it. There'll be yourself, myself, uh, Gemma's. Go- I'm not playing the ground. Gemma's going to be in it, and Sam's going to be in it as well. Oh, and maybe great. even maybe even the kids. Yes, will we'll be oh, will be, be in this one. And then a couple of weeks after that, um, does, that does that mean I'm going to have to tidy my house? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, yeah, you may be. Oh, no, no, sorry, we're doing we're, it in a manger. <clears throat> I forgot. Yeah, sorry. You do know the idea about the nati- nit- 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 nativity play, don't you? <laughs> you do. Yes. Um, so that's next week. Then after that, a couple of weeks, we've got um, Best of the Guests coming up. So the show does roll into the new year, but we thought we'd replay some of uh, our favourite moments with, with guests on the show as well. So we will see you in uh, fully dressed up for the nativity. What are you going to wear, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to wear my uh, Joseph of uh, Technicolor's dream coats, dream coat Technicolor <laughs> Joseph thing. Everything is coming out. We'll see you on the show. I next. look like Jason Donovan when I wear that. <laughs> Jason the Argonauts. We'll, we'll see you next week on the show. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Fuji Cast is an independent loading zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way